Hello and welcome to Baka Banter, a podcast about all things anime and otaku culture. My name is Ravi and I'm joined by the lad who continues to use the same profile picture even though it no longer looks anything like him, Yanatan. <laughs> Do you want to say hi, Yanni? Okay, this is a thing that you always make fun of before. The background is that I consistently have the same profile picture on our podcast website, on all my social media, whatever. It's a picture from a few years ago. Rami doesn't like it because I have more facial hair than no, I No, it's not that you just have, have more facial hair, dude. You look legitimately different. You look like you're fucking like 10 years younger and you have a fucking full beard. <laughs> I don't really understand that, but irrespective of that, my PhD thesis defense is coming up. The department sent out an announcement for it that had a photo and of course, it was that same photo, and I didn't even provide that photo. <laughs> it's how ubiquitous it is that everyone's <laughs> like, this is Yonatan now. Our coordinator just fucking, like, found it, <laughs> like, yeah. put it out for the department. <laughs> Anyways, I also wanted to say, building off of last episode's experience, where it was the first time that I saw Ravi in his Deep V scrubs, now not only am I seeing him again in Deep V scrubs, but he's also sipping on some honey lavender tea. I don't know what else you got there, but it looks yeah, pretty, pretty good. pretty fucked up right now, man. <laughs> I'm really tilted. Well, now I do have a couple weeks free, so I am happy to report that I am alive once again. have time to watch <laughs> anime. I don't know why I'm wearing scrubs right now. I just had a random simulation <laughs> that I had to go to, and I just decided to keep them on. Pour on the compliments. I don't mind. That's what happens when you're deep in med school. You just find yourself wearing scrubs. Bro, they're just pajamas. <laughs> they're like legitimately like they even fucking market them to, to like, I don't want to say normal people, but like normal people nowadays. Right. It's like you see the fig signs all the time. Like who on the yeah. subway is like, oh, man, I need to wear fucking scrubs. Like that's the most comfortable thing I could be wearing right now. They don't look not comfy. I mean, they're not bad. <laughs> they're just kind of like shitty fucking linen on your body. <laughs> It's like, I'd rather be wearing, like, a nice pajamas, you know, soft fucking silk. I've never actually worn silk pajamas. <laughs> Sounds nice. All right, enough fucking pajama talk. We're here to do one thing and one thing only, and that is talk about Pillow anime. talk. <laughs> you want to start with the pillow talk? <laughs> I mean, what have we been doing for five minutes now? <laughs> All right, very, very short anime news section. I feel like there was more news, and I just didn't write it down. I don't know. I mean, you're also busy, man. You just submitted your fucking dissertation. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. But irrespective of that, I am still chronically online. So you would think that the anime news would not escape me. Maybe it has. You can fill us in and let us know if I missed something big because I feel like I did. So anyway, just two pieces of news for you today. The first is that the English dub cast for the last Miyazaki movie, last enormous, enormous air quotes. The Boy and the Heron got announced, which includes a ton of huge famous names like Christian Bale, Robert Pattinson, Florence Pugh, etc., etc. The list goes on. I can tell by your facial reactions that you are very excited. I mean, excited. I thought it was a meme. <laughs> I am genuinely excited. Like, you know, when I was younger, when I was a lad, I watched <laughs> Howl's Moving Castle because of the dub cast, right? My first experience with Miyazaki was Howl's Moving Castle. And I only watched it because my friend was like, oh, I fucking love Christian Bale. And Christian Bale is the voice of Howl. And so I think that inspired a lot of people to go watch it. And that is how the American dub system works, unfortunately, is you get a really high profile actor to make money for the movie. And... Is that the way it should be? No. I think there are much better voice actors who are actually trained to voice act. But uh, it is what it is. I mean, is it going to make the movie more money? Probably. Yeah, I'm not that surprised that for this big profile of a Ghibli film, they got a bunch of names to do it. That just seems to be that 
Ghibli actually does have that pull. A lot of these actors aren't specifically voice actors. As you mentioned, Christian Bale and Mark Hamill and others at least have done some voiceover work, specifically have been in Ghibli movies. So there is that aspect to it. But yeah, I think we would both like to see people who actually do voice acting and voice acting for anime as a living to get a chance to be in this big of a movie. And maybe they will in some smaller roles, but you got to have those headliners for the marketing. I don't know. And then second piece of news is that the main trailer for November 3rd's 85-minute Attack on Titan final special episode, final final, (laughs) (laughs) was released. And a lot of people were excited about it, thought it looked really good. It seems like Imai and some of the other big animators from even the earlier Wit Days came back to do a few of the cuts. So it is nice to see that maybe it is getting a good treatment as the big send-off for Attack on Titan. It does feel like, for it being one of the biggest modern anime franchises, the amount of marketing for the send-off has been almost smaller than I would expect. It's probably because it's just dragged on forever, but that's going to be coming out, I think, like a day or two after this episode airs. So Attack on Titan's actually ending. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I wonder if it even needs the marketing at this point, because all the people who have stuck around this far are probably committed enough to actually just watch the final fucking final final season part three, nine, whatever the fuck it is. I actually haven't watched the trailer yet. I wanted to just experience it in its rawest form. Just go in and watch it and we'll see what happens. Since you're more plugged in than I am, have you heard any talk at all about whether the ending is actually going to be true to the manga or not? Yeah, so there has been a little bit of talk about that, and it seems like some fans, I think, as you know, were hoping that you would get an anime original ending and change some of the things that supposedly some faction of the manga community were unhappy with. I think from the little I've seen of people that are manga readers, it seems like they saw scenes that are pretty faithful to what happens in the manga. So it seems like if there's any difference in experience, it's going to be because of how things get animated and have voice acting or whatever. It doesn't really look like there's going to be any completely different ending. If they change smaller details up, we'll have to see. But I am excited to see what all the fuss was about a few years ago when it ended, or I don't know exactly how long it's been now since it ended. But clearly there was some controversy, a lot of people that were unhappy. So I'm excited to have some opinion on that. Yeah, so am I. After having seen Hayama in person at Anime NYC and heard the debate surrounding it and how that impacted him as a person, especially surrounding, this was his first work, not even first major work, but first work, period, right? I think he might have had like some smaller little one shots or whatever, but it was the first time Isayama had shown up at any convention abroad. We talked about them at the Anime NYC episode, but it was cool to hear his experience with it. Yeah, and so... Given how impacted he was, I am interested to see a manga faithful ending because I kind of want to form my own opinion about it. And God knows I'm never going to read the manga. (laughs) As much as I am reading manga now, Attack on Titan is not, I think, one of them that I'm going to read. Yeah, I'm just going to feel bad if they undercut all of the buildup to this and change it for an anime only ending. Because then it just goes against all of the work that he's put into it, the time he like put into actually making this ending. And like, okay, fine. People like, you know, um, what the fuck is his name? Ghost in the Shell, dude. My brain is fried still. Mamoru Oshii. Yeah, you know, Mamoru Oshii, every time he makes something, is like, fuck it, it's garbage, right? <laughs> Me personally, I do feel sad when a creator is like, man, I spent so much work doing this. Like, I understand creators always want to improve and make better works. But like me personally, as a consumer, I feel bad when artists don't think that the work they put out is their best work. 
Yeah, and it was clear he felt that way, Isayama specifically, and it seemed like it actually did mean a lot to him that he got a really positive reception at Anime NYC. Again, we'll see what we think of the ending if all goes according to plan. We're going to be talking about Attack on Titan and that very ending in the next episode, so I'm sure we'll have a lot to say about the entire series, the production studio changes, the ending. We'll kind of break all of that down. I almost can't believe that that episode is going to happen soon because I feel like we, when we started this podcast, really wanted to do an Attack on Titan episode. And I think maybe both of our kind of commitment to and enjoyment of Attack on Titan as it's dragged on has kind of waned. And it felt like when we started the podcast a few years ago, wow, we're going to get to do that episode soon because we're in the final season. And obviously that didn't fucking happen, but... We're going to get around to it. For some reason, <laughs> it really feels like we've attacked. We, we've attacked. We've talked about Attack we've attacked on Titan. The Titan. <laughs> we've attacked the Titans, guys. We've talked about Attack on Titan so much because every time, you know, we have a first impressions episode where a new season is releasing. We yeah. talk about it then. We talk about a little bit of the history of it. We talk about it in the year in review because it's always in the year in review for some reason. And now it's, it's finally going to be nice to put a conclusion onto this. We were talking just before we started recording what our next episode should be and you kind of just casually dropped it but yeah it has been something that we've been looking forward to for a long time now yeah it's gonna be interesting to finally see that actually happen so Mm -hmm. stay tuned for that in two weeks if you want to hear us talk about attack on titan for an inordinate amount of time you're probably gonna get it (laughs) (laughs) that's it that's all all right so on today's episode, we're back for a new season of anime with our fall 2023 first impressions. We'll be discussing how this season has lived up to our, what I think are now pretty lofty expectations, laying out the best and worst of fall 2023, and potentially adding some titles to our anime of the year shortlist. So let's get into it. So Yanni, you get to travel the world with one member from Free Rin's original party. Who do you pick? I think I'm just picking Free Rin. <laughs> Bro, she's going to fucking outlive you. Doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> That's okay. I'm really into her little hobby of collecting really fucking random ass spells. <laughs> like I think that'd be fun. I thought, I thought you were going to say I'm into her hobby of getting stuck face first in treasure chests. Like. I also think that is funny, but I don't want to be the one to have to pull her out of the fucking mimic. <laughs> really? I feel like for some reason I admittedly have only watched the first three episodes and we're more than halfway through the That's first That's actually so. more episodes than I thought you would have gotten through. No, man. I committed because you said they batch shopped the first four and I was yeah. like, well, I can't commit to all of that, but I can do the first three. Nice. And so... You know what? For some reason, in the first three episodes, we get almost zero screen time from Dwarf Guy. That guy seems like a mad fucking chiller, man. Like, I, I would love to travel the world with that guy. Yeah. Yeah, he'll get more screen time as you get later on, as I'm sure you can imagine. I think Hyder would also be fun to travel with because he's just trying to get drunk all the time. Do you know how much time <laughs> we spent, me and uh, my partner spent watching this, being like, is he fucking evil? Do we think he's evil? Like, <laughs> the priest? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what? As soon as he dropped the hey, can you decipher this immortality textbook for me? I was like, this guy's fucking evil. I know he's fucking something up right now. He's hiding something. And then it just turned out to be a really heartwarming story. You guys are watching us the wrong mentality. (laughs) Yeah, you know that because you're a filthy fucking manga reader. But like, I came into it being like, oh man, oh yeah, this guy. This guy's evil. This guy's fucking like, what is his name in uh, ReZero? Fucking Beetlejuice? Petal Juice? (laughs) 
or Roswell. I don't know yeah, what yeah. You made, but one of those fuckers. Fucking Romani Conti. <laughs> All right, before we get too sidetracked talking about characters from ReZero with weird-ass fucking names, I wanted to ask, as is tradition, what are your thoughts on the current season overall? I know you texted me and you were like putting together your list and you were like, slim pickings out here, man. So did that actually hold true? I said that and then I want to formally apologize to the fucking (laughs) anime season because what I said in the intro I think is true in that for years now we have had our fill of so many great shows every season for many many seasons now has been stacked with things i know there have been like some seasons that you know have one or two good shows but it's kind of sad that we say only one or two good shows like there's always something to watch every season and i sent that text to you before i started watching anything honestly i maybe watched the first episode of free written and just texted it to you because you forced me to make my list and so i was like all right what else is there to watch And I didn't see anything that really stood out to me. After having watched like four or five shows from this season, dude, we're still getting it good, man. This season is not stacked, but it still runs pretty deep. Like there are some really, really good titles and some very surprising new shows that I wasn't anticipating. Yeah, I think the way I would sum up the season is that it's a nice, solid, very good season. It's not fall 2022. And I think in hindsight, that was just an insanely stacked season. Which the closest thing we got this year was actually spring. I think that was probably undeniably the deepest season with tons of really good titles. But I think, as you were saying, the top shows in this season are still really good. I mean, we still have JJK happening, which I'm going to go on a rant about in a hot second. And otherwise, Free Run, Spy Fam's Back, Apothecary Diaries. That's a pretty good collection of shows that I'm really enjoying Beyond that, Pluto also dropped, which I know we didn't get the chance either of us to watch. And like, I don't really know if that's a seasonal or not because Netflix does their batch drop thing. I'm probably going to save that for my insanely long flight to Japan and just try to watch all of it then. But I'm really excited to watch that. How are you just going to fucking drop that in there, you (laughs) fucking asshole? (laughs) The Attack on Titan special is happening. I think on one level of another, we're excited for that. And I'm sure there will be parts out that are really enjoyable. So even though this might not have the depth or the breadth of something like fall 2022 or even spring 2023, there's a lot of pretty good stuff to watch, I think. Yeah, you say that, and I'm not joking about some of the shows on this will definitely be on the shortlist for anime of the year. For sure. And so to have maybe not even one, but multiple contenders from this season make that list is, I think, truly a boon to anime fans worldwide. (laughs) I like the way you phrased that. Thank you. (laughs) I try. All right, so... Let's get into the seasonals. So if you haven't been with us for a seasonal episode, the way in which we do this is that we first chat about any continuing series that we covered in the summer episode, which we typically don't talk much about. This season is just JJK. As I mentioned, I have a rant incoming about that. So (laughs) we'll do that in a second. And then we go through the seasonals in the order that they're listed on Mal, which I think is sorted by popularity. So if you want to load up your Mal check out the order in which we cover things. And at the end, we'll shout out the shows that we didn't get a chance to watch, but that we know people in the community are watching. Anything else? Nah, man, I'm not watching JJK. So you go, go (laughs) off queen. Okay. I know you're not cut up with JJK, so this is going to be completely spoiler free. I'm just saying, I don't think there's anything you'd say right now that's going to make me stressed out, man. This fucking therapeutic <laughs> lavender honey tea is really getting me. You sound so fucking chill. Yeah, man. I am <laughs> fucking chill right now. You know, that's great. 
I'm very happy for you. Maybe we should you. make it a tradition to just drink tea on the podcast. So that yeah, if I can buck a banter after dark edibles edition <laughs> would have helped a lot on the music anime episode. <laughs> <laughs> nah, man, we do it for the fans. The hot takes are for the fans. The hot takes are for the fans. Rant about JJK. It's less a rant about JJK and more a rant about MAPPA, which we do a lot on this podcast because MAPPA notoriously has really fucking bad working conditions. But I need to say, again, fuck MAPPA and specifically fuck MAPPA in the context of this second core of this second season of JJK. So I'm going to try to concisely talk about this because I feel like it's something that people have been talking about I need to say on the podcast. JJK came back this summer with Gasso's new vision for the series. We talked about that in the seasonal episode. And he's very well connected in the industry as this young director. He's been able to pull a lot of really talented animators from different corners of the industry. Hidden Inventory was the first part, the first arc of the second season. I think most people that saw the five-episode run thought it was a really great adaptation of that arc. And after a few weeks off, we were really excited to see what Shibuya had in store as this arc that everyone hypes up as one of the best arcs in all of Shonen, blah, blah, blah. And honestly, more than anything about the actual arc, I think it is just becoming more and more evident to everybody that MAPPA does not give an absolute fuck about anything other than pumping out episodes right on schedule regardless of conditions, regardless of quality, regardless of literally anything else. I have never seen it to this extent before. Like, I know this is something that we've talked about and other people have talked about. But what is happening with JJK now, I am maybe naively hoping is kind of a turning point because every week we are getting actual episode directors and actual animators on the show speaking out on conditions, speaking out about how disappointed they are that they can't complete work to the standard that they want. I've never seen part of a staff be so vocal about that. I feel like usually it's something that people into it and you can kind of see in the production but isn't actually spoken about and the fact that people are actually talking about it, i think it's just emblematic of how bad it is there have been hilariously long lists of second key animators the last episode episode 14 had over 90 second key animators listed numbers you know never tell the whole story with this kind of thing but when you have over 90 second key animators that literally just means The episode is not getting done on time. We need to pull in as many people as possible to just do as many cuts as possible. And obviously when you do that for the first key animators, the primary key animators and episode directors, et cetera, they don't have the time to actually do the corrections to make everything look consistent and up to the right standard. It's usually why having a smaller production team is really good for an episode. But it clearly just shows that they're just saying, well, this isn't getting done. Let's just hire as many people as possible to try to get it done. Over 90 is insane. I don't know if I've ever seen that on another episode. Despite all of that, I want to say that we have gotten some genuinely incredible work. Episode 13 is one of my favorites in all of Jujutsu Kaisen. People really, really enjoyed it. But I think it's really worrying that as we're heading into this back half of Shibuya, where we've gotten through the setup and every episode has these really exciting moments and fights manga readers have been waiting to see for years, it does feel like we're just getting to that breaking point. And it makes me really, really sad that you have a team with a really ambitious vision that would have resulted in probably some really amazing episodes that they actually just can't execute because they just do not have the time to. I mean, if you think about 
when the first season of JJK aired and the fact that Mapless picked up so many projects since then, there was JJK Zero, Chainsaw Man came out. There's just not enough time for their different teams that are working on these projects to actually be able to work in any kind of semblance of a normal timeline. And so I just need to say fuck MAPPA again. They really are a symbol of everything that's wrong with the current anime industry. And I don't know what's going to get it through their CEO's fucking thick head that this is just unsustainable. And as I was saying earlier, I think the only silver lining is that JJK is still pretty good. It could be a lot better. It's still good in spite of MAPPA. And I think because it's a high profile show, a lot of people are talking about this more than you would see otherwise. You know, they're really dumb, like MAPPA Sakuga Twitter accounts. Like even those accounts are like, yeah, this is not good. And so, you know, if even those Stan accounts are posting about this, something is like really, really visibly wrong. Rant aside, I'll say more about the end of Shibuya and how things go through the back half when we do our year in review. I'm hoping it still pulls through with the stuff like they were able to achieve on episode 13. And I am very excited for some of the moments that are left, but it just makes me sad that you have an opportunity to create something with this really cool vision that could be really special. And it just can't happen because the people at the top of the industry just don't care. Honestly, I don't really have much to add to this rant. It's, <laughs> I think everything you're saying is spot on. We've talked about this so much and it, as a fan and as an advocate, I guess, for better working rights for animators, it's sad to see, and it's sad to say this, but I'm kind of happy it's boiling over. I'm kind of happy it's getting this level of publicity because this is the only thing that's going to change MAPPA's minds. They need this level of pressure because we've seen for years now that nothing else is going to sway them. And so to have someone as well-known right now as Gosso and 90 other animators and all these other people in production come out and start to actually talk about this is, is in one sense, makes me really frustrated, but in the other sense is gratifying because this could actually result in change. I really want to hope that that's true. And then I see the Blu-ray numbers, and I know Blu-ray numbers aren't everything, but the Blu-ray numbers came out for the initial sales of hidden inventory and they outsold everything in season one. And so I'm like, fuck, <laughs> even if all this publicity is happening and the Blu-ray continues to outsell and make MAPPA even more money, will they actually listen? Yeah, I mean, I don't know, man. I'm hopeful as you are that this kind of discussion will be some kind of breaking point, but I don't know, man. I mean, we have been hopelessly optimistic. <laughs> Usually that's not true. Usually I am. Usually you're the one that's like temper your expectations. Yeah. Anyway, I just feel sad. Let, let's see. I don't disagree with you. As I said, I'm feeling sad right now that I'm like, yeah, man, we need more of this to happen. But that process entails that many animators get fucked over for more months yeah. to have to have this conversation. And you don't want that either. It's just sad when I'm like looking forward to a new JJK episode and then one of the animation directors comes out and is like, please leave me alone and don't bother me because I'm embarrassed of the episode. That's sad. Again, most of it has still been good with some small kind of noticeable things. Some episodes have still been outstanding and some episodes in moments you'd be like, wow, this looks a little Jigo Kuraku-y. <laughs> I mean, yeah. My question is, what has Gosso been saying? So I haven't seen anything from Gosso himself. I don't know if he's too high up as the actual series director to feel like he can say anything. I also haven't looked. 
specifically for stuff. I don't even know if he's on Twitter. I don't know what he says. It's mostly been a lot of the staff under him working on various episodes. And even people that haven't said anything explicit, like Gege himself, the mangaka for JJK, always writes like a little note after each of the episodes. And you can kind of tell over the course of the season, he's been like, oh, I hope the animators are like working okay. Yeah. Like, please thank them. And he's clearly very conscientious of it. So even he's kind of like speaking about it in a roundabout way. Yeah. I don't know, man. It's sad. Agreed. All right. Enough fucking depression. Let's get into talking about the actual season itself. <laughs> Enough depression. Let's talk about Spy Family. <laughs> I actually have another rant about Spy Family. <laughs> Do you really? Yeah. I'm excited for this one. Okay. So as you mentioned, our first season old cover is the second season of Spy Family, which is again being done jointly by Cloverworks and Wit Studio. The premise for Spy Family, is there a premise for Spy Family? In the Mal page, it just says second season of Spy Family. <laughs> yeah, if we're going to go on a rant, my thing will be that season one did have a premise and season two, at least the first few episodes that I watched, just fucking dissolved all of that. I think we're going to have opposite takes then. Really? <laughs> I'm excited for Interesting. that. Yeah. Interesting. So, okay. so I guess just give context for the premise. This is coming out in the lead up to the upcoming Code White movie this winter. That's going to be an anime original coming out, I think, a few days before Christmas in Japan. We basically just continue to follow the Forger family, which is made up of Lloyd, Yor, Anya, and Bond, as they each live their secret or hidden lives as a spy, as an assassin, as an esper, and as a clairvoyant, each respectively. We're still set in the city of Berlin, very important T there, where Operation Strix moves forward as Lloyd aims to investigate politician Donovan Desmond and preserve peace between the countries of Ostalia and Westalis. All right, you want to go first? I just talked a lot. <laughs> All right. Well, I kind of laid out my thing with season two as it is. Honestly, it's been more of the same premise that we had and we enjoyed in season one. Like, I don't mean that in a bad way. And I don't mean that in a bad way at all, because I really, really enjoyed season one. The quality of the show is still very high. The interactions between the main trio continue to drive the plot. And if you're looking for a mostly family-friendly comedy thriller, it's still one of the best shows coming out right now. That being said, the start of the second season has been weaker than most points in season one for me. Although season one definitely featured a good amount of slice of life, Many of those scenes I felt still helped to progress the plot or develop some aspect of the characters' relationships. And in the first couple episodes, which is as far as I've watched of season two, the slice of life has instead been much truer to its name. And whereas you could say that the first episode developed Lloyd and Yor's relationship a bit, and the second episode gave Damien a little characterization, I think that's really stretching the truth. Nothing has really happened so far in season two, whereas I'm sure something eventually will, it's been a bit slower than the expected start. I really wanted more about either the relationship within the family or the development of the plot or like some background to either Lloyd or Yor that could help me actually feel in touch with the characters more and enjoy that. Instead, we continue to get this very superficial, very incremental progression within the family's relationships or within the plot. And I'm not enjoying that as much as I want to be. Me and my partner watch this together because this is one of the shows that we usually watch together. And even she was like, what did I just watch for like an hour? Like nothing really happened. Yeah, okay, maybe we won't have that different takes. <laughs> so I think at baseline, I should say, Spy Family is... Still a lot of fun for me. I think 
as you mentioned, great animation, overall production, wholesome family comedy. That aspect of it, I think, is still really enjoyable. I agree. The first few episodes of the season have been very slice of life kind of random stories about some character. I'm particularly excited, though, for the next batch of a few episodes because they're covering what I only know as the cruise arc, which many manga readers have spoken really highly of. So I think it's exciting to get something that they really want to see adapted. And that clearly is a continuous stretch of episodes that are thematically connected in some way and narratively as well. The thing that I actually wanted to say, which I don't even know if it qualifies as a rant, but I promised the Discord server that I would have a take about Spy Family. So here you fucking go, Discord. Spy Family started out when it first came out, getting a ton of praise for all the reasons that we mentioned. And I feel like towards the back half of season one and now going into season two, actually, at least within the anime community, the part of the anime community that I frequent, which maybe is not indicative of everybody's feelings, is starting to face a little bit more backlash. I think it's kind of natural because it's one of the most popular shows in the industry. It isn't particularly inventive on a lot of dimensions and it feels pretty engineered almost to like sell merchandise and be this kind of big production where you can go buy Bond and Anya figures and you're going to see marketing for the forgers everywhere. So I get that aspect of it. I do feel like there have also been a lot of people who are disappointed at the way the show has lacked substantive plot or character or relationship development. I think that's kind of what you were alluding to or that it failed to capitalize on the genuinely interesting mid-1960s spy setting. I think, of course, it's fine if you drop the show for those reasons. The only thing I want to point out in relationship to that is that I don't really feel like Spy Family has ever pretended to be a show that is heavily on those things. Of course, at the beginning of season one, there was more progression. You had to just kind of set up the general plot and the stakes. But at the end of the day, I think the best way to think about Spy Family is that it actually is kind of like a sitcom, more like something like Lupin is as a franchise in the anime community, but adapted for the modern era. I think you watch Spy Family primarily because you love the characters, you're happy to watch them interact. And yeah, there's going to be sporadic long-term developments, like supposedly that cruise arc, and we can malign episodes that feel random like the beginning of this season has. But I don't think the show is ever going to be primarily focused on plot and primarily focused on some of the things that people might genuinely wish it was. It's just a comfort show for people and for their families in the way that we talked about with Roland a few episodes ago. And I think it is probably best to treat it as a sort of family sitcom that's going to have long-term development rather than continually wishing for something which it's not going to be written to be. And it's fine if you are really wanting like a spy thriller, but Spy Family specifically is probably not going to be that in the long run. I have two thoughts. One is in agreement with you that, yes, Spy Family doesn't have to continue with the plot. It doesn't have to follow through with the relationships and explore those characters and give backstories and all of the other things that more narrative-focused shows would do. The counterpoint to that, and something that's preventing me from enjoying this season as much, is that it did start off with those things. It started off with a plot. It set up an end goal. And the incremental movement towards that end goal has been so slow that it actively detracts from my enjoyment of the show. And I feel like if you did want that level of slice of life, 
it would have been nice to set that tone very early rather than the plot progression we got, all of the setup for the family and Lloyd's mission. I agree that it's totally fair to want that or say, wow, I would much more enjoy a show that did those things. I think it is just clear this far into Spy Family that it is going to do some of those things in the long run. I believe the actual plot with Donovan Desmond and the relationship between Lloyd and your etc. will develop and change in the long run. It's just going to be a really slow burn because I mean, I'm not my hero academia on this shit. <laughs> I am not sticking around for fucking 17 seasons of fucking Bakugo yelling at me. So like, but I do think ultimately Spy Family is going to be a big, big, long running franchise in the same vein as Lupin, in the same vein as and my hero academia actually does move the plot a lot, even though it's fucking long. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying that that is the best way for the show to be or that I would also not enjoy it more if it did other things. I'm just saying I think this is the reality of what Spy Family is and that is what's causing a lot of people's potential disappointment with it. And it's just time to accept that that is what it is and decide if that is for you or not. Yeah. (laughs) You sound disappointed. (laughs) I mean, again, like they're teasing me with plot and then actually not doing it. And so like (laughs) I would agree with you to the fullest extent that it can be a slice of life, but the problem is that it needs to market itself as a slice <laughs> of life. And it's not done that historically, and it continues to not do that, but it continues to give me slice of life. Well, you're probably going to be getting that. So, <laughs> I mean, sure. <laughs> the other thing I wanted to say about Spy Family is that I can't not mention the opening, which was directed by the fucking goat, Masaki Yuasa himself. I remember sitting just in bed scrolling Twitter, and I was like, oh, new Spy Family opening. Let me watch it. Watching through it, I'm like, oh, this is really cool. Those character designs look slightly different. They move interestingly. Lo and behold, I was absolutely fucking shocked that Masaki Yuasa came and just directed this. Like, I don't know if anybody was expecting that. Seeing his take on the characters paired with the song by Ado, I think that's how you pronounce that, who did the amazing music for Uta in the One Piece film Red movie, has honestly been really cool. I've really, really enjoyed the opening. Definitely one of my favorites of the season. It's pretty cool, I think, also just more broadly to mention that Spy Family openings are becoming something of almost an industry showcase. Now we've had three of them, and each one has had a big-name creator coming in to direct them, like Masashi Ishihama, famous for doing many openings, but also directing one of your favorite shows, two of your favorite shows, Shinsukai and Horimiya, and also Tetsuro Araki, who's very well-known for directing Death Note and Attack on Titan. They did the openings for last year's two cores of spy family and now we got masaki also so that's a pretty cool industry tidbit if we're just going to get different creators of high stature coming in and just doing an opening i think that's really really fun is this your favorite one that's really hard you're dancing around the point which i'm just going to ask you directly (laughs) why do i have to pick one (laughs) because you need to have an opinion man if you pressed me i probably would say that it is but it's pretty close like i've actually really enjoyed all three of them i know you don't like two as much but my favorite is the first one i really enjoyed this one first one's amazing yeah the first one's amazing two was a wash for me not because the individual elements weren't good it's because when paired together it didn't work out it's like the same thing we were talking about for like free written right like yeah we'll talk about that in a second but the song was great and the animation is great but paired together it just doesn't work doesn't do me. it for you yeah. <laughs> all right anything else about spy fam I'm going to drop it. No, I'm actually going to keep watching it. There's no way. 
I know you're in for that cruise arc. I still love watching Spy Fam. I still like the ambiance of it. I still like the week to week, even though I fucking hated the dog component of it. Like, <laughs> I don't give a fuck about Borf Man. Like, <laughs> damn, what Bond do to you? I do just want more peanuts. That's true. Yeah. Sorry, one more time. <laughs> you heard me. <laughs> okay, second show we're going to be covering is Freerun Beyond Journey's End being done over at Madhouse. I love Freerun. <laughs> I was like, did you freeze? <laughs> Basically. <laughs> I've been waiting to talk about this with you for so long, and the fact that you didn't even tell me at baseline at all, what you thought of the first three episodes hurts Why me. do we do this? <laughs> this is so that I can tell you. <laughs> I wanted a preview. All right, let me give the premise for Freerun and then we'll start talking about it. In Freerun, the Demon King has been defeated by the party of heroes, which consists of the hero himself, Himmel, the priest, Hyder, the warrior, Aizen, and the mage, Freerun. The party returns home from their decade-long journey and reminisces about their adventures together before bidding farewell and each going their separate ways. Freerun is an elf with a much longer lifespan than her human companions, and in the coming years, she begins to witness the death of the people from her party, starting with Himmel. Driven by her hobby of collecting spells, she visits an aging hider who manages to convince Freerun to take on a human apprentice named Fern. The pair embark on what is initially a seemingly aimless journey, revisiting the places the party of heroes had been, as Freerun confronts the passage of time, as well as the missed opportunities to deepen her bonds with her previous comrades. You want to start? You want me to start? I'll let you start. You're like sitting there anxiously, dude. You're like a fucking <laughs> like kid on Christmas Eve right now. Go for it. Freerun is, I think, as anybody who's listened to me talk about it sparingly and news sections and other sparingly. things. Sparingly. <laughs> sparingly. <laughs> is a really special show for me because it's the first time I've experienced a manga that I've actually read getting an anime adaptation after I've already read it. People know, again, if you've been listening, that Chainsaw Man was the show that propelled me into being a manga reader in the first place as I picked it up after the anime adaptation. But Freerun's a series I had on my list to read, knowing that people generally like the manga, but immediately became a priority once the anime adaptation got announced with Keiichiro Saito directing because I just loved his work on Bochi the Rock so much. As a fan of the source material who has pretty much been waiting a large majority of the year for this to come out, I feel like I fucking won the lottery with this adaptation. I'm sure so many manga readers or light novel readers or whatever have the experience of being really hyped for an announcement and then slowly your dreams just get crushed as you get studio and staff announcements that you actually see it come out where as a lot of anime is just isn't as good <laughs> as you were hoping it could be. But for Freerun, Saito's honestly a generational director. The schedule actually seems healthy. It's clearly super high priority for Madhouse with the four-episode drop in the really prestigious time slot, a bunch of other stuff. We've gotten cuts from top-level industry animators like Yutaka Nakamura, like Shingo Yamashita, who did a cut on episode six. Evan Call is just proving once again why he is one of the best anime composers, even with how young he is. And we're guaranteed 28 continuous episodes, which in this climate of anime production is pretty crazy. You don't even see consecutive two core things done that often anymore. Somehow we have two of them this season, which is really nice, but it doesn't really happen that much. 
So I think from a production standpoint, it really doesn't get better than this. Basically, every aspect of the manga, and I like the manga at baseline, but every aspect of the manga has been elevated and refined. For the manga itself, I think the concept, the narrative are great, but specifically the action, the depiction of the action, some of the paneling, the art compared to some of the best manga industry, I think is noticeably lacking, even to someone who kind of just started reading like me. And those improvements really, really stand out on top of just really emphasizing the stuff that's already good about Firin. Speaking of Firin's narrative, and I'll let you cut in after this, I think what's great about Firin- You'll allow me to cut in. <laughs> Bitch, I cut in when I want. <laughs> I think what's special about Firin is that it really is a pensive and slow emotional fantasy story. The driving force behind the series is the passage of time, as I mentioned in the premise. And that's shown just beautifully through montage sequences, the way in which the experiences of Freeran's current journey reflect her changing views about her previous one and kind of weaving the past and the present together. It's really a story about someone with a seemingly endless lifespan learning to appreciate human connection despite their perception of human lives as short and fleeting. I'm not going to lie to you. I teared up in episode one when Freeran was crying at the funeral. I knew that shit was coming. It didn't matter. It still got me. I think seeing this series come to life in a way that exceeds everything I ever imagined on top of just the actual moment itself being emotional really just fucking got me. And I don't know if I've enjoyed a series this much in a pretty long time. How much of that is because you read the manga? Definitely it's part of it because I think it is special to see something that you already like get an adaptation. But if I had just read the manga and you'd been like, how do you like Freer? I'd be like, it's a really good series. But I don't think I would be like, oh, it's fucking amazing. You must go read it. Seeing something just exceeds any way in which you could have expected it to look and to sound. And on top of it already being a genuinely good narrative, I think is really kind of what put it over the top. So I think it's related to getting a premiere adaptation, basically. But I do think just on its own merits, the anime is just so good. And I think if you were to ask me, you know, should I read the manga or should I just watch the anime? Please watch the anime. It's just takes everything in a faithful way from the manga, but just makes it a lot better. Yeah, I really did not like Free Run. <laughs> I'm just joking. You know, he's taking a long sip. <laughs> You know I had high expectations for this show. I would be so season. disappointed if that's how you started. <laughs> I had such high expectations for this show because you went on for a good five minutes there. <laughs> Did you time that? I don't know. I didn't time it. But like for the past six months, you would not shut the fuck up about how excited you were to watch the first adaptation of a manga that you had previously read. And honestly, that was very exciting. It was nice to see that you were so excited about this show and that you really liked the manga. And it's interesting for me to experience that from you because, again, you've never done that either. The other reason I had high expectations is everything I had heard about this show was right up my alley. You told me that it was an atmospheric fantasy story that plays on a lot of tropes in the genre. And what more could I ask for besides the appearance of Truck Kuhn? in the opening sequence, and a well-rounded harem. And to be honest, this show has matched or exceeded all of my expectations besides those isekai components. I've never been happier in my life. 
I don't think I could emotionally handle <laughs> anything but you saying that. Can't do it. The production value of this show is amazing. Madhouse is one of my favorite studios at Baseline for its work on shows like Black Lagoon, movies like Redline. They have worked on Wolf Children. They've really knocked it out of the park here with the production quality of Free Run. The landscapes are vivid. They're immersive. The animation is detailed and smooth. And there are some amazing directorial touches if you watch carefully, like playing with shadows and playing with reflection. Of course, we have to shout out the music by Evan Call, which you already did. We were both really looking forward to that soundtrack, and I think it's an integral part of the show's ambiance. The OST really captures the spirit of the fantasy genre and the highs and lows of adventure. I only watched the first three episodes. I was telling you this. Did I say it on air? Did I say it offline? I think I said, I think you said that on air. No, I think you said that on air. <laughs> run the tape. Run the tape. <laughs> So I've only watched the first three episodes so far, and I was like, okay, let me go look up the OST. The OST right now is broken up into each episode OST, and so I was like, hmm, I'm going to get spoiled by this. But I just went through and listened to the first like five or six episodes, and for any lover of fantasy out there, you can really see that Call captures the elements that you get in, in an immersive, expansive adventure. It's very, very true to the original behemoths of fantasy, like Lord of the Rings, etc. I should also quickly cut in about the soundtrack. I don't know if you were going to mention this, but the first four episodes, because they dropped together, I think they actually still aired the opening and you know whatever was in there. And for us in the US, they just dropped them on Crunchyroll as four episodes. Like, I didn't even bother putting them together. But because it was a four-episode run like that, Evan Call actually film-scored the music for those first four episodes, which just means, if you don't follow the composition at all, that they match the actual music to specific scenes and narrative beats within those episodes as they're actually happening, rather than doing something more standard, which an anime would normally get, which is like creating a theme for a character and then creating other tracks that then the team can put in and reuse wherever. So he actually very methodically, and I think you can tell listening in those first four episodes, film scored everything. He recently had a Reddit AMA where he talked a little bit about Freeran and a lot of his other works. I would encourage people to go check that out on the anime subreddit. And he talked about trying to create tracks and a huge variety of tracks that would allow the series to maintain that feeling of film scoring even throughout the rest of the episodes, even though he didn't film score those. So clearly he put a ton of work into the soundtrack. Yeah, and he was hired because he could do this, right? Yeah. After Violet Evergarden, where he really so showed how amazing a composer he is, I will stay say I have so much nostalgia attached to Violet Evergarden oh, that it so still is one of the best soundtracks in anime for me. Maybe behind... Or at least on par with Blue Giant, because that one really fucking fucking got me. But those are two of my favorite soundtracks right now still. And it's going to be interesting to see Evan Call live up to that. It's definitely a different vibe. It's similar in how atmospheric it is, but it's still very different in the fantasy aspect, the adventure aspect. Whereas in Violet Evergarden, it's much more pensive, much more piano-based, much more typewriter. Like All of those elements are in there. Freerun is much more orchestral. More than all of this, though, my favorite part of the show has been the journey. In the first couple of episodes, we get Freerun's call to action. Unlike most fantasy stories, where the ultimate goal is to complete a quest with world-changing consequences, the quest in Freerun is much more mundane. 
As an elf with a lifespan much, much longer than her human companions, Freerin sets out to learn more about humans after she realizes how little she knows about her friends. As you said, that was in a very emotional moment that she shares after Himmel's death. I was not going to spoil that, but you already did, so whatever. <laughs> it's the fucking first episode. I'm sorry. <laughs> Cracks me up that they like put them front and center, her old party front and center, a lot of the promotional material, because I was like... It dies like two seconds later. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you knew it. It's so emotional how you start off with that, because anytime you're talking about, you know the element of loss of a party member, that element of trying to introspect and figure out how one actually feels about another party member, that really always gets me. And as it's affected, that got me here. But none of that is world-altering, right? It's not like she's on a quest to fucking save the universe. But because it's mundane, the show gives itself the potential to be much more real and much more evocative. And the themes that it explores along the way are some of my favorite themes in media. I said loss. There's also empathy and self-reflection and coming of age and the passage of time. Freerun touches on all of these and it showcases them beautifully, especially that last one. What I think it excels at is the passage of time. I love when shows illustrate the passage of time in fluid and inventive ways, like Wolf Children, which shows the growth of the two kids very, very well. And Freerun does something very similar. In just a matter of seconds, you see 20 years pass. With the changing of the seasons, another four years go by. And with this passage, we begin to appreciate what it's like to live a life untouched by time, how it shapes Freerun's actions and perspective, and how it places her at odds with the humans around her. I have very much enjoyed this exploration in the first few episodes so far. The last thing I want to say is that Freerun is super self-aware. It knows the common tropes in fantasy, and it plays on them for both comedy and for suspense. One of my favorites so far has been that interaction in the bar when Freerun was looking for a dessert shop, and she ends up talking to those like two rough-looking adventurers. Yeah. Both me and Nooper were sitting here being like, oh man, shit's about to get fucked up. Like they're going to start a fight or something like that. No, these two rough looking adventurers are like, oh, fuck yeah, desserts. We love desserts. Like <laughs> go check out this place. That's so good. It's such a subversion of that common trope that it's really shocking and it just immerses us further into like that ambient world that Freerun is trying to build. I had a few other sort of random wandering thoughts about Freerun, so I'm going to try to list some of those out. One is that, as we've kind of been talking about this whole time, the trademark association with Freerun is about this sort of slow, emotional, meandering journey, which it definitely has a lot of, especially at the beginning. It is actually also quite funny. The running gag of Freerun getting stuck in the mimic chest because she wants the stupid spell that it has to, like, look through clothing or, like, something dumb is actually just really funny to me. And there are a lot of little quips like that where it almost feels slightly bocce-esque in its comedy. Obviously, bocce is a lot funnier because it is primarily a comedy, but you get those little touches where you're like, I see what Saito is doing here. There's also a lot more action than I think people tend to associate with the series. We're sort of getting into that now. Episode six had one of the first Sakuga fight showcases that I think impressed a lot of people. Some of the arcs later on, are a little more shonen heavy. I'm interested to see what you think of those. I think those will be much better than they were in 
the manga. They still had a lot of enjoyable aspects, but the fact that there's a fucking tournament arc, I'm like very excited for you to see that. There's a fucking tournament arc? There is a fucking tournament oh, arc. Oh, dude, I'm so <laughs> hyped. So there's a lot of those things that I think people don't associate with Freer necessarily as much, but I think are worth saying are also done pretty well and especially elevated by the adaptation. I also quite like the world building. I think a lot of it is very standard fantasy at the surface, but things like the demons that you meet and just kind of learning more about the history of the world and the magic system in the smaller moments make it feel a little bit more alive. And finally, I really love the side characters. You've probably spent some time with Fern, but maybe not enough yet. Stark is also great. And there are others we'll meet later on, but I really, really like the characters other than Freerun that are a major part of the story. I think they feel like real characters and not just like random NPCs, which is really nice. I have seen so much lewd firm on my alt account. That's flagrant. We can't have that. <laughs> I want to ask what you think of the opening. I really like the opening. Actually, oh, no, sorry. I'm at the ending. <laughs> I really like the ending. I am at odds with the opening because yeah. I fucking love Yosobi, but this is hitting me with the exact same problem I had with Spy Family, the second opening there, where the song and the animation just don't match for me and it just doesn't fit the vibe of the show yo sobi is a rock band and nothing about free run screams rock to me whereas the ending is much more in the vein of that fantasy atmosphere emotional character development character interaction kind of music right it's that thing where the story of the ending is completely in line with the actual journey of free run i really have liked the ending a lot yeah, I did not completely agree with you on the Spy Family opening take, but here I 100% agree. I like the song and I like the animation separately. Yosobi's sound, and I do like their sound, is just not it for the main vibes of Freerun at all. This 100% feels like the production committee saw how much Idol blew up for Oshinoko and were like, we want that. This is a high priority production get us the biggest name. And honestly, you know, it probably works. The song is probably really popular. I'm sure it brought some attention from people who really like Yasabi. In my head, I had something more emotional, something like Violet Evergarden's opening or like Heike Monogatari's opening or even the ending. Spice and Wolf's opening. Like Spice and Wolf's opening would have fit so well. Yeah, maybe something like Spice and Wolf and Mushishi that's a little bit more folksy and low-key also would have totally worked fine. Anything along that spectrum, would have been great. I agree with you also that I love the ending. That, I think, fits way, way better. So I'm a little bit disappointed by the Yosobio choice for the opening, but it is what it is. I understand why they it's did it. It's not bad, right? It's not bad. I'm going to listen to that song. Like I'm going to download that song and, and have it on my playlist. The yeah. song is good. It wouldn't have been my choice. <laughs> All right. Did we talk about Freer enough? Maybe we should do like 10 more minutes. I mean... <laughs> I didn't fool anybody when I said Free Run's bad because I literally started off the gates with this is shortlist for anime of the year. So It's really good. It's really fucking good. We're blessed. Okay, let's move on. We'll talk about it more at the end of your review whenever you give me a chance. <laughs> the next show is Undead Unluck being done by David Production. You wanted to watch this. You didn't get a chance to, right? Yeah, you know, I actually was scanning the list of titles for this season and then I saw that I could watch Undead Unluck or I could watch Shangri-La Frontier, and I picked Shangri-La Frontier, which actually, there's no way that it's second now on this list because it's ranked lower than like most of the shows that we're going to be talking about. Undead Unluck? Yeah. I made this list yesterday. 
I don't believe you. <laughs> I would advise you to look again. <laughs> All right, someone fact check us if Undead Unluck is placed correctly or not. But either way, we're talking about it now because that's how it is in my fucking notes. <laughs> so the premise of Undead Unluck. After reading the conclusion of her favorite manga series, which, side point, the cover looks eerily similar to Kimi ni Tadoke. Like, that is too close to not be a direct reference. I feel like it has to be. Fuko Izumo finally feels ready to end her existence. What the fuck? <laughs> trigger warning for... You can't trigger warn me after <laughs> the fucking spoiler, you dick. And this is because Fuko has a condition in which anyone that touches her has extremely bad luck. And this unluck even resulted in the death of her parents because as a kid, she hugged them, they got on a flight, and the plane crashed. As one does. As she stands above the train tracks, contemplating if she's going to go through with her death or not, she is touched by a strange man, never a sentence you want to say, which leads to him getting that unluck and falling and dying instead of her. However, his corpse begins to regenerate, and Fuko finds out that the man, who doesn't have a name, so she names him Andy, because why not, is actually immortal. As he also wishes for death, she eventually agrees to team up with him to achieve this goal of allowing him to die, while a mysterious organization lurks in the shadows, hoping to take advantage of the duo's strange abilities. And that's where you get undead unluck. One of them is undead, the other one has unluck. See, I feel like you were excited for this show, and then just explaining this, I can clearly tell that you're not excited for this show. I was not that excited for the show, but I'm going to explain right now why I even watched it in the first place. Okay. I'm watching Undead Unluck because Yuki Yase is directing it. That's a fucking simp. The only fucking reason. For those that don't know who Yuki Yase is, he's a descendant of Akiyuki Shinbo's team at Shaft, who worked on Monogatari, a lot of other stuff. Much like Mamoru Hatakayama is, who directed Rakugo and Kaguya and stuff like that. And I actually do just genuinely love his more creative, artistic take on series. He uses a bunch of signature lens flares. Just very, very visually striking productions that you don't see, especially in Battle Shonen. You see a lot of like more traditional Sakuga at times, if it's a good adaptation. But you don't see a little bit more of a shafty kind of artistic take. And so... I was excited to watch out for this reason. He now, after leaving Shaft, has a team at David Production. He had his solo directorial debut on the first season of Fire Force, which I know you watched. And he didn't do the second season, and his second outing is now Undead Unluck. He's a supremely talented director, but can anyone please, please give him any good material to work with? Please. <laughs> I'm fucking on my knees in a Walmart begging for this. <laughs> Let Yukiyase direct something that isn't fucking garbage. <laughs> it's stupid. <laughs> I despised Fire Force because it looked fucking amazing in that first season, especially the sound design, especially some of the just imagery of the main character whose name I fucking forgot because that show is so ass flying around because of the fire engines he has in his fucking feet. There are some amazing, amazing cuts. I really love the style of that first season of Fire Force. I actually think it downgraded in the second once he left. But Fire Force is fucking tropey. It's fucking stupid. The characters are stupid. And Undead Unluck is also fucking stupid. 
The opening yeah. and the ending are very good and creative, but everything else is stupid. Kind of glad I didn't watch this after this scathing <laughs> review here. Let me maybe talk about the show and not just the production. Uh, the characters, ass, fucking ass, especially Fuko and Andy, who are the main duo we follow. Tell me if this sounds fucking reasonable to you and enjoyable to watch. The entire premise of their dynamic is that he wants to touch her in the most obscene way possible so that the unluck that befalls him is bad enough that he dies because in the worst way that he gropes her, the unluck is worse. That's seriously a premise? That's actually a premise. No, that can't be That true. is 100% the premise. Naturally, wow. that lends itself to some pretty fucking gropey scenes that are obviously played off for laughs. This guy's also naked in like every fucking fight because yeah, he dies in every fight. Like his whole power is that he dies and then he can like use his regenerated limbs to like shoot them at people and do other crazy shit. So naturally he's naked in every single fight and there's the fucking gray like loincloth covering his junk in like every fucking scene. Let me ask you a question. Do you think Yase is enjoying doing this? Like, do you think he chose this? I have this? no idea. <laughs> you know, what if he actually chose this and you're like, man, give this something better to work with. And this guy's like, no, man, this is what I want to work if with. If he chose it, if someone else chose it, it doesn't matter. It's a fucking waste of talent. <laughs> <laughs> I will say it seems like they're starting to overcome this initial dynamic of their relationship and respect each other somewhat. But that being the hook for the show is not fucking what I'm looking for. Beyond that, the world and the power system, much like Fire Force, feel pretty empty and superficial to me. There's also this part where, like, he pulls out some metal from his head and it, like, unlocks fucking neurons. I don't understand how that works. <laughs> Yo, bro, you have a PhD in neuroscience in one week. How do you not understand how that I works? I don't think that's how that works. Anyways, manga readers swear that the manga gets really, really good later on and that the sexual nature of it goes away completely. That's a fucking trap, man. Manga readers right have there. said that about a lot of series where that doesn't happen, so I'm not going to bank on it. I'm just going to stick with it because it's one core and, you know, Yuki Yase cinema and all that. It does genuinely look great. I cannot in good faith recommend this to anybody unless you are just fucking Sakuga brain dead like apparently I fucking am. Man, you got to fucking balance out the simping with the quality of the show. Like, you straight up should not be watching this show. It's not good. Stop watching it. No, but some of the shots look cool. <laughs> Go fucking watch, like, I don't know, fucking something better, man. It's too late. I'm a completionist and I've started. All right. So the one thing I want to say before I talk about the next show is that I need you, Yanni, to watch... Just one episode of it. Go home tonight, or whenever you're done editing this, and please do me solid, and watch one episode of the 100 Girlfriends Who Really, 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 and I think that's five, Love You. I because you I will really. literally pay good money to see your reaction. Like, I will fucking pay money to see you watch this show. I'll watch it if you come over and watch it with me. I mean, I tried that for prison school, and you just didn't like that either. So, But I watched it. <laughs> yeah, not well. <laughs> I'm going to watch all of it on the etchy episode, round two, Electric Boogaloo, whenever we do that. Uh, so. That's actually true. We should do that. <laughs> anyway, 100 Girlfriends, as I'll call it, is such a divisive show. It knows exactly who it's targeting and what it's doing. And for those fans of the harem romance, I think you will have a great time watching this show. For those of you like Yanni that are too close-minded to give it a shot, you will <laughs> not. <laughs> that being said, what is this glorious work of art about? On his last day of middle school, Rentaro Aijo manages to confess to the girl he loves. 
And he is promptly rejected, making this the 100th rejection of his life so far. Of not just this girl. He like, really fucking kept score, bro. Many girls. <laughs> like, not just this one, many girls. <laughs> Having achieved this highly questionable feat, Rentero goes to a shrine and prays that his high school life will be different. Suddenly, the god of love appears before him and informs him that his luck is about to turn. Not only will Rentero meet his soulmate in high school, but because of a quirk of fate, he'll meet 100 soulmates. And as promised, not two minutes into his high school life, Rentero runs face first into his first two soulmates, Hakari and Karani. I cannot keep a straight face. <laughs> and immediately, they fall in love with him and confess their feelings, presenting Rentero with a quandary. Who does he pick? Before giving his answer, he decides to visit the god of love one more time. And what he finds out is that if he rejects any of his soulmates, they'll die. <laughs> and so begins his path to meeting all 100 girls destined to be his soulmates. And I shit you not, both the Mal and the Wiki synopses for this show mention polygamy multiple times. Like, I think this show is tagged under polygamy. That's so good. So like I said before, 100 Girlfriends knows exactly what it's doing and who it's for. It is very self-aware about its premise, and it almost revels in how ridiculous and tropey it is. Instead of a subversion, 100 Girlfriends leans so hard into their harem romance tropes that you could almost mistake it for having a larger message than I think it really actually does. I think we have talked about this show on the Discord a bit so far. It has a message at all. <laughs> I mean, it definitely has a message, something about polygamy and like... <laughs> At least 100 girlfriends. But like, it is actually very, very self-aware. It takes a lot of the well-known tropes within harem romance. It takes like the sundere, the busty, like nice girl, all of like the classic harem tropes. And it doesn't turn them on its head at all. It just actually leans further into them <laughs> to the point that you have a friend, like the best friend, that's literally just called friend A. Because everyone realizes... All of the fucking friends in harem romances are completely useless. And so it just, again, leans into it. It's just a fun show that I think many people could find some humor in if they let themselves. But that being said, it is certainly not a show for everyone. It should be a show for you. <laughs> I might consider watching it, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> At least the first episode. You know, I was going to say, I think I told you this before we started recording, so I'll just repeat this on air. Whenever we do the seasonal first impressions episode, Ravi compiles this list because usually not keeping up with stuff until we start. And it always has bullshit on it. <laughs> <laughs> and part of me was like, okay, now that he's in med school and he has a lot less time, is he going to continue with his garbage man facade and do his due diligence? Or is he going to do the rational thing, which is, you know, a very limited time. He's going to scale back, only watch the important shows that he thinks he'll actually like. And I commend your ability to continue taking out the trash for us, good sir. The guy who's watching Undead Unfuck out here is like... I'm doing <laughs> Undead Unfuck. Oh, that's the other annoying thing about that show, is that every <laughs> single fucking power starts with un. Bro, why are you still ranting about this? Like, you're truly surprised this show is garbage when you know it's garbage. Like, <sighs> anyway, part of my enjoyment of watching anime is watching these shitty shows for the fucking Someone's got to do it. I totally yeah, fucking there are people it. who are watching way more seasonals than me and watching way shittier shit. Speaking of, 
Apothecary Diaries. So we talked about Free Rin, and <laughs> I mentioned how much that show... I don't think I can let that transition fucking go. <laughs> we talked about Free Rin, and I mentioned how much that show hit every element that I love in anime, from its animation, to its characters, to its themes, to the music. It's definitely on my short list for anime of the year. I've said that like five times just from its first few episodes. Say it again. And I even remember texting you after watching those episodes that I don't think there's anything much else to watch this season, right? We talked about that. That's until I watched Apothecary Diaries, which I'm not going to lie, I might actually be enjoying more than Free Run so far. That's crazy talk, but I also love Apothecary Diaries, so... (laughs) Apothecary Diaries is one of those shows that I think you said something very similar to this with Chainsaw Man. And I'm going to say this about Apothecary Diaries. It feels like this show was made just for me. The show is set in ancient China, where it follows Mao Mao, a 17-year-old girl who works in an unnamed city's red light district, as an avid apothecary alongside her father. One day, Mao Mao is kidnapped and sold to the Imperial Palace, where she's forced to work as a servant, cleaning and doing laundry. Resigned to wait out her sentence until she can be free of her servitude, Mao Mao's interest is piqued when she hears a rumor that the Emperor's two sons have fallen ill. She decides to take action and secretly warn their concubine mothers of the cause of their children's illness. But in doing so, she attracts the attention of the manager of the Imperial Palace, a sly eunuch by the name of Jin Shi. Jinshi enlists Mama to work in the court's inner circles, where she can put her knowledge of medicine and poisons to use to solve various mysteries. I said it before. I'll say it again. This show feels like it was made just for me. It's a historical medical drama showcasing life and customs in ancient China and focusing on medical mysteries. That is so fucking cool. And besides how much I love that concept, the show looks and sounds absolutely beautiful. The animation is bright and colorful. The character designs look amazing. I love how sometimes the character designs are not too serious, where in other times in tenser moments, it actually transforms into something beautiful. And Kevin Penkin's soundtrack adds a wonderful ambiance to the show. We said earlier how this season may not have been that special, but soundtracks by both Kevin Penkin and Evan Call in one season... It feels like we're being spoiled. This show has everything I want in an anime, to the point that, as I said, I am enjoying it just as much, if not more, than Free Run so far. So I've had this tabbed for a while, I think just because the key visuals were so stunning, and then I heard about the soundtrack, which, I mean, you mentioned Kevin Penkin, but it's being done jointly by Kevin Penkin with Satoru Kosaki, who is a really well-known composer for things like Monogatari and things like Vivi. He's really, really talented. And Alisa Okehazama, who I don't really know, but just knowing that there are three composers that people really like all working jointly on that, I was really excited for that. And as soon as I heard the actual premise and I started watching the first episode, I was like, this is just for Ravi. (laughs) Ravi's going to fucking love this show. And I similarly am absolutely fucking loving Apothecary Diaries. I know nothing about Chinese history. I don't know if any of this is historically accurate. It doesn't fucking matter. I am here for best girl Mao Mao and nobody else. <laughs> Did you seriously never play like the fucking three dynasties games or like dynasty tactics or? I didn't play either of those specifically. And honestly, I just don't know that much about 
historical Asia in general, like historical Japan, I now know some of because of watching anime set in that period. But yeah, historical China, I know very, very little about beyond aesthetic. We're going to have to do an episode on this. Okay, I'm in. (laughs) But back to Mao Mao, which is the important part. Aoyuki voicing this little fucking feral apothecary who's obsessed with creating medicines and poisons and tasting food that might have poison in it, but so far has not, is so enjoyable to watch. It's such a great example of animation along with voice acting, injecting life and personality into a character. And Mao Mao just steals the show at basically any scene she's in, which is like all of them because she's the main character. And her rising up the ranks of the Imperial Court while solving different medical cases is just a really fun premise to watch every week. Jinchi seems like the other main character. (laughs) He's all sussy. Clearly he's scheming things. I'm looking forward to see what he has planned and generally more of the internal politics of the court. When we talked about Oku, I think that was summer, that animation and production was not great. But what I did love was seeing politics of an inner chamber set in Japan, not in China, but seeing this inner political structure with either the emperor or what are they called in Japan? Help me out, history man. (laughs) Is it also emperor? Yeah, it's an emperor, my man. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, then I didn't need to clarify anything. And I really, really enjoy seeing people kind of scheming and meandering within that political structure. I think that's super interesting. I don't actually know what that one is about. You could have an emperor or you could have shogun. Both have their own courts. <laughs> I think it's the shogun. <laughs> it depends what time of history, actually. This is why you're the history guy on the podcast. Anyways, as long as Jinshi doesn't do anything, for lack of a better term, unbecoming towards Mao Mao, because there have been some hints of that, because I'll fucking personally murder this guy, I am excited to see what he has planned and how that's going to develop and if it's going to be more of Mao Mao living her life and solving cases regularly, or if she's going to actually work her way up, or if there's going to be more politicking, I'm excited to kind of see which direction they take, because I think any of them could work. This is also a big part of why I am enjoying this a little more than Freerun. It's because Freerun as a character in her titular show, she's very emotionally evocative to watch, right? Like a lot of the scenes that she's in, it makes you pensive and it makes you think about how you feel about her situation, about how you feel with her relationships with other humans, right? Mau Mau is just such an eclectic, fun, upbeat character, like 99% of the time. Like, fucking girl gets kidnapped, and the next scene you see her in is like, man, I hope my dad's not worrying about me. I'm just trying to get out of here in like the next like fucking two months, bro. That scene was so funny, but I was like, girl, you just got kidnapped. Like, how did we (laughs) play this off so unseriously? (laughs) I love the scene where she finally gets access to the herb medicine chamber and she's fucking like dancing around. Yeah, and yeah, Nobody yeah. on the podcast can see what fucking hand <laughs> movements I'm making, but you know exactly what I mean. It's so yeah. good. This is the other series that I mentioned is confirmed for two cores. So we're going to get 24 episodes of Apothecary Diaries, which is honestly amazing. These two series if they can both maintain this healthy production schedule over the course of these two chords, provides such a stark contrast to what I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, which is whatever the fuck MAPPA insists on doing. The show looks great at a baseline. The first three episodes had this very methodical, objective representation of the Imperial Court, especially episode four, which I assume you probably haven't watched yet because it's the most recent one, brought in Chinashi as an episode director, Moong as an animation director, and had, in great contrast to Jujutsu Kaisen, zero second key animators, which is insane, and really just allowed those two huge talents to put on a slightly 
more fluid, just amazing episode in terms of the movement and the character animation. So I'm hoping we get to see some more episodes like that, even though the show overall just looks spectacular throughout. The production has just been really, really good. We talked about the soundtrack. I like the soundtrack. I was kind of hoping it would blow me away a little bit more. I think with all those names, I was maybe expecting it to hit me the same way that Freerins did. It has been good. It's been totally fitting up the setting. I'm hoping it reaches a little bit more heights in the emotional climactic moments because we just haven't gotten any of those. So I'm still really enjoying it. I just had very high expectations given the name. So I'm hoping it's going to reach those. But Apothecary Diaries is certainly one of my favorite shows of the year. And I just can't recommend it enough to people. Mau Mau Best Girl. Watch my show, man. My show that was made for me. The 100 Girlfriends? Yeah, the 100 <laughs> Girlfriends one. I mean, one can only dream, dude. You got a few uh, more to go. Noops is right outside this door, so <laughs> I can't say that too loud. Yeah, I'm loving the show. I honestly, it's so hard for me to be like, which show do I like most this season? You haven't even asked me. I'm just, I'm incriminating myself here. You've already said it like eight <laughs> times. I don't need to ask you. <laughs> but the thing is, I feel like a lot of my enjoyment for a show comes with, am I excited to watch the next episode? I'm definitely excited to watch the next episode of Free Run, but there's just something about Apothecary Diaries that I'm like, fuck, I, I can't stop watching this. I watched three episodes of Free Run being like, okay, I need to watch these three episodes for the pod so we can talk about it. I watched three episodes of Apothecary Diaries because I was like, fuck, I need to watch this next episode. Like, oh my God, I need to get more of this. Yeah, I mean, certainly there's something to be said about just the show scratching a particular itch for you and really hooking you in that way. I think that totally has happened here. They also just provide completely different experiences, as I think you already said. Yeah. After an episode of Free Run, I want to go like take a shower and think about life. And after an episode of Apothecary Diaries, I am usually like, when can I see Mau Mau again? I just want to spend more time with her because she's so much fun to watch. Yeah. And so that also kind of contributes where I would watch fucking all of Free Run straight if it was just given to me right now. But I'm also just... <laughs> Again, very, very excited to watch episodes of Apothecary Diaries. Also one of those shows that I was looking forward to a lot this year after seeing some of the key visuals, hearing that people liked the original novels. And even for people that have read those, kind of say that parts of those are quite dry. And so I can totally see how bringing those to life in the way that they have has just really elevated the source material there as well. So Certainly also on my shortlist for anime of the year. I think for me too. All right. I could have watched Undead Unluck. And I didn't. And I'm kind of glad now that you told me it was so <laughs> shitty I didn't. It has some good cuts, though. <laughs> but I saw that there was an Isekai airing this season that has over an 8.0 rating on Mal. That is fucking rare. And Isekai. There's only one Isekai. I don't actually know about that. Then There's something probably way deeper on that list that you're not aware of that is also an Isekai. What do you mean? Rising of the Shield Heroes airing. <laughs> I don't fucking care about Rising of the Shield Hero <laughs> right now, bro. Like, Kevin Penkin's also doing that, but I got stuck in the second season and I haven't given him a chance again. I think that's okay. After the fucking slavery bit, I was just <laughs> like, I'm good. I'm out. <laughs> anyway, finding an 8.0 rated show on Mal, I immediately pivoted. And as expected, I am not sad that I did because Shangri-La Frontier is the next iteration in video game isekais to grace us with its presence. Is it any different than previous works in the genre? Not really. Does that make me any less excited to recommend it? Not at all. 
Shangri-La Frontier, or SLF as they call it in-game, is set in a slightly futuristic Japan where VR technology has progressed to the point that you can feel fully immersed in-game. The evolution of this technology has led to an explosion in VR games, some amazing, but most shitty quote-unquote trash games, whose only audience is a select few elite gamers who live to try and conquer them. Elite gamers. I know, truly elite gamer, bro. <laughs> pro gamer move. Are you even a pro gamer? <laughs> Rakuro Hizutome is one such gamer. This guy plays League, man. A high school student, <laughs> Rakuro loves to play through trash games in all of their buggy garbage glory. One day, when he goes to pick up his next game, he's introduced to a massively popular MMO called Shangri-La Frontier. SLF has gained a user base of over 30 million players, and Rakugo... Rakugo... And Rakuro agrees to try out what a god-tier game is after waiting through shit for so long. We follow him as he transfers the skills he's honed in this new world and attempts to decipher its secrets. I'm not going to lie, there's nothing special about this show. The animation <laughs> looks really nice, but I think other than that, the characters, world, music, and narrative are all pretty standard isekai fare. It's marginally interesting that the show has tried to provide a rationale for why Rakuro is such an OP player. But does that really make this title stand out? No. Like I said before, this is an isekai for isekai fans. It certainly surpasses the bar for most shitty isekai, but as you are intimately aware of, that bar is not that high. It's the ground. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck does that mean for like all of the other <laughs> shitty isekai that come out? <laughs> It's slightly above the ground. <laughs> if you want a decent video game fantasy to hit the spot, SLF has the potential to do that, and it's certainly doing it for me right now. I know I was a bit wishy-washy on that. I personally recommend this show as an isekai fan, but this is also because you can 100% turn your brain off and watch some really nice-looking fights and explore a video game world. What the fuck is the bird? That's all I know about the show. There's the bird, right? It's that just a guy with a bird mask. Okay. It's his avatar, yeah. Okay. He puts a mask on so that people don't have to look at his half-naked body because when he character builds, he goes for an agility build. And so he's just like, I don't want to be half-naked, but they also see my face. You just gave me so much information. <laughs> <laughs> I truly like felt like I was looking at you with the fucking Zach Galifianakis math floating around him meme. <laughs> hey, man. I'm deep in this. Uh, yeah, I could tell. Well, you know, it wouldn't be a seasonal first impressions episode on Baka Banter if we didn't talk about one isekai. And here we are talking about one isekai. I realized completely off topic that we didn't mention the opening for Apothecary Diaries. Really like the opening for Apothecary Diaries. Yes, yeah, so really, good. Really, really like that. That's all you I know what? To say. It really <laughs> reminds me of Hell's Paradise for some reason because the flower scene is very similar to the There's Hell's that Paradise flower imagery. Opening. You know what it yeah. reminds me of? You're going to say something stupid because you have that smile on your face. You're going to say something stupid like ping pong or some bullshit like this. No, it reminds me of Shakira. Oh, fuck off. Because the singer just has that like, huh, like voice. You know? <laughs> One more time. What? <laughs> I can't do a good Shakira impression, but you know what? Something about hips don't lie. I can't do any impressions good, but you know, it's like, oh, like kind of like deep voice like Shakira. <laughs> Oh my god. Oh, you you know like someone's mean? sucking you off under the table over yeah. here. Like, <laughs> I hope that somebody listening to this understands what I mean, but 
Shakira has that like little bellow, and the singer also has that little bellow. Anyways, the opening is really good. I really do enjoy the opening, and the imagery fits really well with the show. Yeah, it's really good. Definitely been bumping that song recently. Yeah. Okay, that's all the shows we covered. Why do I feel like we didn't talk about that many shows? We overlapped on a lot, which doesn't always happen in these seasonals. Good for us for once. Keeping it to an hour and a half episode. We haven't done that in fucking years. Yeah, I just years, looked at man. that time. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> we need to fill 30 more minutes of time. <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> What'd you wear for Halloween? <laughs> Halloween hasn't even happened yet. <laughs> it will by the time this comes out. Yeah, but it hasn't happened as of now. So, Let me quickly cover the other shows that are airy that I think are worth mentioning. I briefly mentioned it already. Rising of the Shield Hero Season 3 being done by Kinema Citrus. Fuck that. Another season three that wow. people don't like at all is Tokyo Revengers being done by Leiden Films. Both of those shows fell off cliffs. Like, I would never would have watched either, but, like, even for people that seem to enjoy their first season of those, completely seem to fall off a cliff. So, I don't know what the fuck happened, but it is what it is. Season two of Girlfriend, Girlfriend is airing, being done by Synergy SP. That first season is one of the worst things I've ever watched in my life. <laughs> Part two of the second season of Ancient Magus Bride being done by Studio of Kafka. It seems like actually quite a bit of people have been enjoying this season of Ancient Magus Bride. So I will eventually get around to watching it. I know you were ambivalent about specifically the ending of season one. So I'm interested if you ever get around to it, what you think of the second season. I definitely will. I feel like I just have to rewatch season one to really get a better take on it. It's one of those shows where like you need to understand the character and if you have that one year off of like not actually watching this character you're going to go to season 2 and be like what the fuck is happening? Why is she this guy's fucking slave? What is happening here? <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Then there are two actually racing anime airing this season, one of which is Overtake being done by Troika, the other one of which is MF Ghost being done by Felix Film. Are you supposed to pronounce that motherfucking ghost <laughs> i don't fucking know but i don't know why i didn't watch these seas- this season like i was really excited for overtake and which one of these is a sequel to fucking uh mf ghost or motherfucking ghost as i'm gonna be referring to it is the one that has been said to be the spiritual successor to initial d initial d yeah. i can't tell them apart in my head beyond that <laughs> then we also have 16-bit sensation, another layer, which sounds like a a hentai. hentai For sure. (laughs) That's a hentai for sure. Which some people (laughs) on our Discord server have been, I think, enjoying, but it does sound like a hentai. It's a sussy taste. Those are mutually exclusive. (laughs) Yeah, you're not wrong. (laughs) Then we have the third season of Uma Musume Pretty Derby being done by Studio Kai. Had to shout that out for specifically one person, you know who you are, on our Discord server, who is a huge Uma Musume fan. I will say, I will eventually watch Uma Musume because- Fuck off. Yes, I will. No, you won't. <laughs> Specifically, the OVA that I think aired last year had some absolute crazy Sakuga cuts. And as you know, I will even watch Undead Unlocked for the Sakuga. So you bet your sweet ass I'm going to watch Uma Musume for the Sakuga. Such a fucking simp. <laughs> and then I mentioned this briefly at the beginning, but Pluto also dropped, being done by Studio M2. That's the adaptation which has been baking for years and years of Urasawa's manga that people seem to really like. I actually haven't watched or read any Urasawa, so I'm excited for this to be my first experience. I have seen a spectrum of takes on Pluto from people who love the manga, who think the adaptation is really good, to they use really bad stocky CGI effects. The animation gets worse as you go throughout the 
eight one hour long episodes and specifically that apparently Urasawa is very controlling with his adaptations and it seems like they got some really great animators on board and then stifled what they allowed them to do and so it kind of plays very realistic rather than letting animators cook i don't know i'm excited to see it i'm sure you're also excited to see it i'm very excited to see it it's also because the historical element of it i do want to see what this show is and why it was so popular within the anime and manga space. Yeah, it also has some kind of loose connection to Astro Boy, the way I understand it, and also apparently was written right after the invasion of Iraq, Afghanistan. Wow. It's late in the recording. You know what I mean? So clearly it's like very critical of also all of those types of decisions. So I'm interested to see how all of those pieces, the animation, the Urasawa of it, the social political commentary, the production quality. I'm interested to see how all those things kind of mesh together. You haven't seen any Urasawa, right? No. Okay. Isn't your girlfriend like an enormous Urasawa fan? No. Urasawa? Yeah, the guy who wrote Monster in fucking 20th Century Boys. Oh, yeah, yeah. Is that Urasawa? Yes. Naoki Urasawa. Don't test my manga knowledge. Who's the guy that has the fucking horror shit out right now? Oh, Junji Ito. Junji Ito. You know I can't do names, bro. You fucking (laughs) name drop people all the time. I'm like, who the fuck is that? I hope that through my efforts to learn more about the anime and manga industry and specific creators. It's definitely not sinking in. <laughs> Some of it will sorry. transfer to you via osmosis. <laughs> None of that shit has been fucking osmosing into me. Oh, the other hilarious thing, since we have the luxury of time, I can just mention random bullshit that I think. You're editing, so I don't care. <laughs> the other thing I wanted to mention about Rising of the Shield Hero, actually, is that they got Shingo Yamashita to do the opening for it, which I don't think is as good as his other works because the fucking content is just trash but how dare you obviously it looks good for a shield hero opening but the funniest thing is they splice stuff into the trailer from the opening cuts from the opening into the trailer and then fans some fans who were not aware that of his style because it's very very apparent that he did it and that it was for the opening were like oh my god shield hero glow up it's like no guys that's just the opening (laughs) hey man i don't know catch me on i watch shield hero season three (laughs) all right that's it for the seasonal episode, anything you want to say to wrap up talking about fall 2023? Yeah, this season I'm going to go in and say is pretty fucking deep. Like we said that at the beginning, I think people who are like, oh man, this season is kind of slow. Fuck off. That was you. Uh, <laughs> that yeah, was you. that was me. Um, I'm allowed to tell myself to fuck off. <laughs> That's fair. Apothecary Diaries and Free Run, probably top of the list at the end. It's going to be really hard to decide. Unless Attack on Titan comes in and finally blows me away, but I doubt it. <laughs> I also doubt it. Hopefully I still enjoy some of that. Yeah. Especially the top level stuff in this season, despite all the issues still having JJK, obviously Freer and Apothecary Diaries both being amazing and me still enjoying Spy Family as a comfort show. I think pretty good watching overall. Just kind of struck out with Yuki Yase getting stuck with fucking bullshit. (laughs) All right, that's been it from us for the fall 2023 first impressions. Next episode, as I mentioned at the top of the episode, we're talking about Attack on Titan. Catch us talking about every single season catch us talking about how, how hot levi this? catch us talking about how hot levi's body is catch us talking about paths catch us talking about return to shiganshima catch us talking about mappa Fuck catch us Mikasa. talking about wit we'll be there we'll be talking about it somehow <laughs> i feel like this is all just gearing up for our final like fate episode it's odm gearing up no fuck that <laughs> we gotta do fate now 
this is significantly less work than the Fate episode. I do need to watch the original Fate Stay Night first so we can do that. It's oh going to happen. God. How have you not seen that yet? Stop watching Undead Unluck, bro. <laughs> I'm just swapping Undead Unluck with 100 Oh, reference. my God. You should be happy. I'm not. <laughs> All right. So next episode of Tiger and Titan. See you guys there. See you guys there. Here you guys See you guys there. there. <laughs> See you guys we'll there. Catch you all around, catch you homies. All the <laughs> <laughs> I have never finished an episode and felt so much freedom. <laughs> Again, you're editing. It's not me. I'm willing to fucking talk for another 30 minutes. <laughs> Actually, that's not true. Neus is outside of the store fucking being like, I'm hungry. So I also, it is 11 p.m. and I want to go home and sleep. <laughs> Anyways, subscribe to the podcast. Anywhere you get podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, not fucking Stitcher. If you use Apple Podcasts or Spotify, leave us a rating and a review. Otherwise, you can listen to Fuck us off. anywhere that <laughs> you can listen to us anywhere that you get your podcast. We appreciate you as a listener, even if you don't use those two services, or at least I do. Unlike fucking Robbie, who just told you to fuck off. You check out our Some website. People need to shut learn the fuck up. <laughs> Let me finish the episode. The hard love. <laughs> you can check out our website, bakubanter.com. Check out our Twitter at bakubanterpod. And you can join our Discord server at either of those two places. There's a direct link. You can come chat to us about seasonals, about your life, about our life, about traveling to Japan, about how Mao Mao's best girl Fuck about you. Attack on Titan. You like Mao Mao too. What's wrong with you? I was talking about the fucking traveling to Japan. It's you that's traveling to Japan. It's uh, not us that's traveling to Japan. Uh, yeah. You could join. It's just you have a med school thing. Oh, on. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and otherwise, that's been it from us. We've been the Baku Bencher Lads, and we'll catch you all in the next one.